Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Hey, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen. We are bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of the day. If you missed the first hour, I, I commend it to you because we talked about um, where we are in the unfolding narrative of Scripture in relationship to Israel. We um, Many folks have been asking, you know, well, what does the Bible say about Israel and the end times and these kinds of things? And so we talked about that. We also talked about you know, what What then shall we say about these things? And we spent some time in Romans chapter 8. We led off with today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which um, is a hard one. It's a hard one. Uh, it's Jesus on the subject of forgiveness, and it comes from Matthew chapter 6. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is a tremendously difficult teaching, and we spent some time unpacking it together um, at the beginning of the first hour. So I just uh, I just share that with you. Um, if you're just tuning in, um, just commend that to you. I want to talk about friendship for just a moment. Um, what does it mean for Jesus to call us friends? What does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? Um, Jesus in John chapter 15, uh, he, he uses this language of friendship, but what, what does that really mean? Um, what does it mean for us to be a friend of Jesus? Because we're obviously subordinate to him. There's obviously not equality. I mean, even yoked to him, right? He carries the burden. Um, Jesus is a different kind of friend than any other friend. And we might think about friendship as, uh, you know, uh, some experience among equals. But in the language of the New Testament, when we're talking about New Testament Greek here, we're talking about the language of Roman patronage. What does it mean for someone to befriend another? What does it mean not to be someone's slave, but to be their friend um, in this in this relationship where um, Jesus is mediating for our benefit, where he is sacrificing for our benefit, um, where he is um, caring for us in ways that we cannot care for ourselves. No one has greater love than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. That is a different kind of friendship than the world really fully understands. And it is um, King Jesus making an ultimate sacrifice for his subordinates. And that is something that uh, Caesar would never do. That is something that a worldly kind of ruler would never do. And so um, when we talk about friendship and we talk about having friends, I think this is not the way we tend to think of it. Um, But Jesus is connecting friendship here, not with the world, but with 
um, but with the scriptures. He's talking about the kind of friendship that Jonathan and David had. He's talking about um, the kind of friendship um, that one who is in a position to do for another um, would lay down his life in order that one who is less and has less might live. It's the kind of thing that a parent might do for a child. And so um, when you think about friendship, what's sort of your friendship status in the world today? Pew Research um, just came out with, uh, with a study on what does friendship look like in America. And I thought that I would just lift up a couple of things um, from this. 8% of Americans say they have no close friends. None. Zero. Not one close friend. Um, most of us, but surprisingly not an overwhelming majority. I mean, 61% is most of us, but it's not like, you know, it's not like an overwhelming majority. 61% of U.S. adults say having close friends is actually very important in order to live a fulfilling life. Which means that there's a fair percentage of people, 39%, who don't think that. Like, right, that's a fairly high percentage of people who don't think that having close friends um, is terribly important in order to live a fulfilling life. Well, what does that say about that 40% of people's understanding of who Jesus is. Because he's, my, he's the top of my list, by the way. You ask me, you know, like, who are your friends? Who's your best friend? Um, I, I got to tell you, I am totally, totally smacking you down with Jesus right then and there. I mean, I love my sister. She is one of my best friends. I love my friend Jessica. I, certainly Jim, my husband, is my best friend. But none of them are a friend like Jesus. No way, no how. And so when we talk about friendship and you talk about having a best friend, you have a best friend. I mean, you might not have any other friend in all the world, but if you have Jesus, you have a best friend. None ever better. Doesn't get any better than Jesus. And so walk with him and talk with him today. Spend time with your friend Jesus. He has laid down his life in order that he might call you friend. And so talk with him today, walk with him today, discuss your differences, discuss the differences that you have with him, um, and then come under his yoke because it's easy and light because he's going to carry the load of the friendship. All right, um, we're going to continue actually talking about friendship in just a moment. Rebecca McLaughlin is an author, and her new book is No Greater Love, and it is a biblical vision for friendship. So if you're craving authentic friendships, if you want to be known and accepted and loved and challenged to be, you know, a better person, well, we actually see in the Gospels Jesus inviting us to understand what that looks like. And so we're going to walk with Jesus and we're going to talk with Rebecca McLaughlin next, No Greater Love. Our friend Rebecca McLaughlin is back today. You can connect with her at her website, RebeccaMcLaughlin.org. We're going to talk about her new book, No Greater Love, A Biblical Vision for Friendship. Rebecca, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. What, what What's the bottom line? What do we need to know about friendship? <laughs> well, the bottom line starts with the extraordinary words that Jesus spoke the night that he was betrayed to his death by one of his closest friends, um, by the, the night that another of his closest friends denied even knowing him three times. 
the night that basically all of his friends ran away when the going got tough. He said to them, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. If we let those words sit with us, I think we'll realize a few things. One, we'll realize, honestly, in most of our church circles, we would have finished Jesus's sentence differently. Um, <clears throat> you know, we might have said, greater love has no one than this than the love of a husband for a wife. Well, maybe greater love has no one than this than the love of a mother for her children. But Jesus says greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. And I think we need to, to recognize there that just as that the Bible gives us um, parent-child relationships as a um, an opportunity for us to kind of live into a, a kind of living picture um, of God's fatherly love for us, and just as he gives us husband-wife relationships to give us a tiny glimpse of Jesus's love for his church, so actually this, this other sort of re- relationship, this other species of relationship that we call friendship, is one where we can live into and be part of, of modeling to the world what Jesus' sacrificial love looks like. I love, uh, or I appreciate, maybe I shouldn't use the word love. I appreciate um, uh, your conversation about uh, philos, like what kind of love we're talking about. So I want to I dwell on that. And then I also want to talk about this, this kind of redefinition of family that takes place in all of this. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah, so honestly, I think in our culture today, we struggle to uh, identify and live into a, a real kind of love that is not either parent-child love or sexual or romantic love. Um, I think it's it's fair to say that both in our culture and, and in many ways in our churches, we've sort of made um, romantic love the, the big thing and everything else uh, sort of very much secondary to that. Um, you know, we talk as if if somebody isn't married um, or, or doesn't end up getting married for, for one reason or another, but they're kind of missing out on the main event of life. And, and we've lost a vision for deep, meaningful, non-romantic, non-kind of erotic love relationships. But actually, that's what we see throughout the, the New Testament. <clears throat> we see it not only in Jesus's relationships with with multiple close friends. We also see it in Paul's relationships. Um, we see it when Paul calls his friend Anisimus his very heart uh, or when he says if his friend Epaphroditus had died, he would have felt sorrow upon sorrow. Um, or when he identifies four different friends at the end of um, his letter to the Romans, who he calls my beloved or the beloved. You know, these are really kind of rigorous love relationships that Paul had um, with with a number of different people. And that I think we are <clears throat> with a poorer four if we don't recognize that. So, that, so then what is the, the purpose of Christian friendship? Um, again, if we look at these other kinds of relationships, you know, we, we know what the purpose of parent-child relationships is. Um, we at least somewhat know what the, the purpose of, of married relationships is if we um, read the Bible carefully. So, so what's the purpose of, of friend relationships? Well, actually, I, I think another um, metaphor that Paul uses is really helpful for us here. He talks about um, certain friends as, as fellow soldiers. Now, I've never been in the military myself, um, but my understanding is that when people go into battle together, they, they generate this, this deep sense of connection and intimacy, but not from things which have been designed to make them friends. You know, they're, they're not kind of going on vacation together and um, eating pizza and watching movies together. Like, that's not the, the primary way they, they're getting close. They're actually getting close because they're, they're training together, they're fighting together, they're living together, they're dying together. That that's the vision for Christian friendship that the New Testament gives us of being on mission on Jesus's mission together with brothers and sisters and and being 
um, side by side, having each other's back, um, helping each other grow, um, challenging each other when when we're we're falling short, encouraging each other when we don't feel like we have it in us to go on. All of that is what we need in Christian friendship. I I think that um, when when Paul talks about nobody standing with him, when he talks about mm. no nobody, like that's when you feel um, that in in Christ friends is who we have in the battle and when they're in the absence of them i think sometimes illuminates just how powerful the reality is um when when there is somebody there standing with you side by Mm -hmm. side when there is somebody who's got your back when there is somebody who brings you a brings you you know a, a cloak when you're in prison like whatever right like what whatever it's it's by their absence it's in those few phrases that we get from paul where it's just evidence that there were times that he didn't feel like he had a friend, a physical friend, um, that I'm aware of just then how powerful this this friendship in Christ business really is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think we need friends to help us fight the the kind of external battles um, that, that we might face in life and, and to help us move forward in the hard work of evangelism, in the hard work of caring for the poor and those in need and the the hard work of including those who who aren't included by others. I think we also need friends for the internal battles. Mm. Uh, you know, the ways mm. in which we are struggling to live um, in in kind of internal godliness. Um, I have certain friends who I just give full access to what I'm struggling with, where my sin temptations are. Um, you know, what's what's going on? Like, what what I what do I love right now? What what I dream of? What I hate? And they're in a position. To call me out, actually, if they're if they're looking over at me and thinking, do you know what? I think this is an area of sin that she's not really realizing or taking seriously. Um, that they can speak into that, or on the flip side, friends, you can say, do you know what? I I can see that you are receiving your own um, you know, faulty discipleship right now as like a, just an ongoing defeat that you seem to be battling the same battles again and again and again. It feels like there's no progress. Our friends can say, hey even just getting up and fighting again today, that's progress. Or you may feel like you haven't really grown in this area in the last year, but I've been walking with you and I think you have been growing. It's You're not there yet, but you've been growing. Like just those who can know us well enough to know the the things that are really hard in our lives, the things, the areas where we, yeah, we do have patterns of, of sin or temptation um, and can just be in the trenches with us, helping us to to grow and to repent and to be encouraged. That's so good. I have a fr- I have a friend who I think would call what you are describing a courageous friend. Um, mm, yeah, it's it's not just a friend that right stands with me in external battles. Um, it is a friend who I trust to be my friend um, during my internal battles. Um, yeah, yeah, and and even pointing out, <laughs> even pointing out those places right where. Um, my life is not aligned to the character and the will uh, revealed in Christ. Um, Rebecca, yeah. this is so good. We're gonna keep. Uh, we're gonna keep. Um, uh, keep on with our conversation with Rebecca McLaughlin. The book is No Greater Love: A Biblical Vision for Friendship. And yes, those of you who are asking, we do have copies to give away today. You can text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. A hundred and fifty million people. 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. 
I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word APP to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. We're talking with author Rebecca McLaughlin. You can um, you can actually uh, get a copy of No Greater Love, A Biblical Vision for Friendship. We're giving away copies today to enter that drawing. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Rebecca, when I think about my Christian friends, genuine Christian friends, one of the one of the things that differentiates um those relationships is that even in death, I do not, I do not risk relational loss because that is going to be my friend forever and ever in the kingdom of heaven. And so even though my husband is my precious love, it's more important to me that he's my brother in Christ than anything else, because then even in death, I suffer no relational loss. Mm. Can you, can you talk about Christian, why Christian friendship is so unique? Yeah, that's actually a really important point, because if we look at what the Bible says about um, our, our future life with Jesus and, and we get glimpses of it, we get we don't get a, a whole whole playbook of, of how things are going to play out. But one of the things Jesus says is that there will be no marriage um, in God's kingdom, ultimately. And the reason for that, I think, is because the the thing to which marriage pointed, i.e. Jesus's relationship with his church, will we'll kind of have that. Um, we, we won't need the pointer anymore. But we will continue to operate um, as brothers and sisters. So there'll be this um, this sense of, of unity together um, with with those even who we might not have known in the, in this life at all. Um, you know, people who have followed Jesus on the other side of the planet uh, will be uh, brothers and sisters in close relationship with us. But I think one of the things that that does is it um, helps us to understand why the Apostle Paul spoke so highly of singleness, actually. Um, we tend to see singleness, especially in Christian circles, as almost like a kind of deficient state. You know, oh, it's a, you know, it's a shame to not be married. Like, really, in an ideal world, everybody would be married. Um, actually, there there are unique ways in which single Christians point us forward to that reality, where we will all live together as brothers and sisters in Christ, not as husbands and wives, um, but um, yeah, but as as brothers and sisters. So I think there is that that sense of um, of pointing forward to. The, the new creation that we can do both in marriage and then differently um, in friendship and that um, both single people and married people can can point to different elements of what we're going to enjoy. So, Rebecca, your wheelhouse up to this point has really been what I would describe as apologetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so can you talk about sort of how this book is, I mean, it really, it is, but it's a different kind of apologetic. It's a different kind mm-hmm. of answering the the cultural question of the day, but it's not like, hey, here's the 12 hard this or the five this or the 10 that. Yeah. Yeah, I think there are two ways in which it, it, it's um, treading on territory that I think is vital for apologetics. One is that um, I've written and thought quite a bit about questions around um, sexuality 
And obviously, this is one of the most kind of controversial areas where what the Bible says and, and what our culture says today kind of come into to conflict, um, because the Bible says that that sex actually only belongs in male-female marriage. Uh, so, you know, highly controversial stand to take in this world. And a lot of people think that that means that Christians have uh, no vision for love relationships between people of the same sex. But I actually think if you look in the scriptures, you, you won't find that. What you'll find is that we we have a very powerful, beautiful vision of love between people of the same sex, but that it is not sexually romantic and that it's not exclusive. Um, so, so we have a, a, a different um, species of, of relationship that the Bible um, gives us in, in friendship in kind of brother-sister relationships, which according to Jesus is not a lesser form than the kind of love we might find in marriage or the kind of love we might find in parent-child relationships, but it, it's, a, it's a different form. And I think part of how we, we struggle to make Christian ethics beautiful to the world around us is because we have bought into this sort of idolatry of, of sexual and romantic relationships and in, in Christian terms, um, the, the idolatry of, of marriage, taking a really good thing and making it like an ultimate thing um, where the Bible actually shows us that yes, marriage is very good. It's so good. It points us to Jesus' love for his church, but actually according to Paul's singleness is even better. And we can see this kind of love relationships um, between believers, as, as I've been mentioning, they pointing us in a, a unique way as well to Jesus's love for his people. So I think there's a way in which really understanding what Christian friendship is helps us um, put the puzzle pieces together when it comes to to some of the other areas of, of apologetics at the moment. And I think alongside that, what, what many in our culture today most deeply crave is authentic relationship. You know, we have mm-hmm. an epidemic of loneliness and disconnection. Um, and and I think of you know a friend at our church who very recently became a Christian, um, having been raised not Christian at all, having been through every kind of um, kind of relationship you could have been through up until this point. You know, tried everything, and she had a, a kind of aha moment um, last week at our church retreat where she said, "Oh, I've just realised you guys have to love me. I, I, that you don't have an option. Like you can't just sort of decide next week. Oh well, you know, we decided you're weird or boring or whatever it is." You actually have to love me. And it was this this beautiful moment of seeing a, a very young believer, kind of a light bulb going on of, oh, yeah, this is the one place. This is the one place in this whole city where people have to love me. And, and I think we can um, we can meet that need and, and model that that gospel beauty in communal spaces as the church as a whole. And the, the Bible speaks very clearly of the church as family. I think we can also within that um we can model that in closer individual friend relationships with a, a smaller network of people where we're, we're deeply investing and, and deeply um, seeking to know and be known and to love and be loved. Uh, we can be uh, picturing what, what Jesus's new creation is going to look like, and that is ultimately very attractive. Amen. We're talking with Rebecca McLaughlin. The book is No Greater Love, A Biblical Vision for Friendship. We are giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Rebecca, I feel like I would be remiss. This is completely off topic. Um, <laughs> but I feel I feel like because you live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and most of us do not, um, I, I feel like giving us any little window that you can into what is going on across the river at Harvard would be um, a gift to us today. Uh, when you say what is going on, do you mean like are there like open moment? protests? Like you can like I mean in our like in our public imagination, because all that we're reading is that there's you know these thirty student groups that are very um, 
pro-Hamas in their reaction to mm. what took place in Israel on October the 7th. And and yet it's it's one of the largest Jewish populations of students of any uh, academic institution in the country. Um, and so, you know, in our in our imaginations out here in flyover land, we think, you know, gosh, there's there must be just like open hostility in the streets in Cambridge. But my guess is that's not exactly the reality. Yeah, I think that's exactly the reality. Uh, the last time I was there, uh, last week, I was actually to speak to one of the, the Christian fellowships there. Um, I think what has been really interesting talking with friends actually at a number um, of kind of leading academic institutions here is is precisely that um, that clash that's occurring mm-hmm. at the moment as people who might previously have seen themselves on roughly the same side, maybe, maybe it just would have described themselves as sort of progressive, liberal, secular folk finding themselves on very opposite sides of a, of a very painful question and realizing that some of the kind of simplistic divides that have been set up um, in, in some kind of liberal progressive spaces actually aren't, aren't going to work here and aren't going um, mm. to help. You know, if, if we've created a situation where people are not able to name um, a, a horrific terrorist attack, for example, as a horrific terrorist attack, um, We've really, uh, I think it's causing a lot of people um, with a a sort of secular progressive uh, way of thinking to actually wonder, oh, maybe we have, maybe we've gotten to a space that that we we don't actually want to stay. So I'm curious how things are going to play out in the coming weeks and months. Um, Been grieving with some some Jewish friends who, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously felt the attacks very acutely. Um, And one of the challenges as well is that, of course, whereas there's um, you know, incredible uh, pain and and suffering among um, you know many uh, poor folk in, in in Palestine. There's also uh, an extraordinary, not only anti-Christian, anti-Jewish, but also anti-kind of progressive, one might call it, uh, agenda um, from from Hamas. So it's sort of hard for folks who would have a whole set of ideological um, beliefs that that do not map at all well onto um, onto the Hamas leadership. It's hard for them. To then find themselves uh, trying to kind of uh, support and justify, um, yeah, people who who have a fundamentally different way of seeing the world than they do um, in the in ways that play out in, in horrifically violent contexts. So yeah, I, I I don't know that I have any unique insight here other than to say this is one of the places where I think it's it's going to cause people um, to become quite uncomfortable and unsettled in in what might have felt more comfortable as a sort of uh, progressive secular consensus previously. I'm so I'm so glad that you are right where you are, and that others, uh, you know, other believers like you are in the environments that you are in because you're able to um, stand and sit and talk and lean in um, and walk long paths because this, this these aren't going to be short. Uh, abbreviated mm-hmm. conversations. I mean, as the roof is going to come off of some people's worldview, um, and then hopefully there will be Christians standing there ready to help people, um, you know, construct uh, construct a worldview that's actually, you know, good and godly and functional mm-hmm. and life-giving. So thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you do and where God has you right now. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. That's Rebecca, Rebecca McLaughlin. You can connect with her and all of her resources at RebeccaMcLaughlin.org. The book we've been discussing today, No Greater Love, A Biblical Vision for Friendship. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul and Northwestern Media, our friend, Dr. Corbin Hornbeek, is back with us today. Hello, Corbin. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning, Paul. Good to, good to see you both. Good to be here with you this morning. Good to have you. It's beautiful it's so morning. so great to have you. So um, there's been, um, there has been, there continues to be uh, some things going on on college and university campuses across the country, and we thought... Oh, let's uh, let's have Corbin come and talk, talk to us about all of that. Great. So um, if you're listening right now and you're not aware, um, at many of our elite schools across the country, like Harvard, um, the University of Pennsylvania, Columbia, Cornell, um, and in places that you might not think of as, you know, particularly uh, elite or Ivy League, I'm going to go here with my alma mater, the University of Florida, um, there have been very, very open and public conversations yeah. about what took place in Israel last Saturday and then the unfolding um, war, which is, yeah. you know, is proceeding. So I would just like for you to help us process some mm. of that. Well, <laughs> uh, again, it's so good to be here with you this morning, Carmen. And I think what we're seeing across the country um you know, in some ways, nothing ever happens in a vacuum. It's all connected to other things going on in the world. And, um, you know, as we, as we uh, watch this wave of, of secular progressivism, uh, we see responses to world events, um, you know, that I, I think a lot of us, particularly those of us uh, of faith, uh, Christian faith and, and Jewish faith, would say are deeply uninformed. Um, and so the, you know, the responses, uh, particularly to the events, uh, in Israel, uh, the, uh, the terrorist attacks on Israel from Hamas and the, um, uh, the, res- uh, the uprising, if you will, on college campuses against that is deeply troubling, uh, to, uh, to those of us in the family of faith, um, but also demonstrates a, a, a deep, uh, lack of understanding of how we got to be where we are today. Mm. So um, we have a friend uh, who on the text line who's like, you know, both both of these narratives can't be true. Right. Um, and it, my one of my responses to that, Corbin, is, well, neither narrative is is fully true. And because both narratives lack Jesus. Right. Like, here's part of the challenge that we face is even though there there could be there is no moral equivalency at all and i'm right. not uh, you know i want to i want to be quick to say that and maybe you can speak to that maybe people hear that language maybe they don't even know what that means yeah. but even even after we have the conversation about israel and hamas yeah. we as christians still have to have another conversation that says but jesus but jesus right <clears throat> and that's been the uh, boy has that not been the uh, the story of God's redemptive history going all the way back, I mean, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of Genesis, but um, the story of Abraham, and um, it goes all the way back to Abraham. And the promise that God gave to Abraham uh, was that uh, his seed would be a blessing to all nations. And we see that, you know, the the uh, the... The, on one hand, the obedience of Abraham and the disobedience of Abraham. And that disobedience of Abraham is, in so many ways, why we have the problem that we have uh, in Israel and the Middle East right now. 
Of course, uh, you know, God you're, promised. You're talking there about Isaac? That's right, Ish- Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael. And yeah. so uh, we have that uh, that conflict that goes all the way back to that. And Carmen, what you said a moment ago, but Jesus. And that is the story of God's promise to his people uh, that uh, has woven its way through um, uh, the great cloud of witnesses, if you will, people of faith, um, both obedience and disobedience in this world. And that's what you said just a moment ago, uh, that neither narrative is absolutely true or or correct because we are, of course, disobedient people, and God graciously puts up with us. Um, I think part of the challenge that we face as Christians is that we imagine a quote-unquote Judeo-Christian ethic. We imagine a Judeo-Christian worldview. But when it comes to the law and when it comes to warfare and when it comes to what God has said about justice, um, we operate out of two completely different worldviews. There is a Jewish Old Testament worldview in relationship to all of those things. And there is a New Testament Christian worldview and value system in relationship to those things. And, And those actually are distinct. Yeah. Well, there's a distinctive to that, and <clears throat> what I would, would say is that we are uh, seeking a biblical uh, worldview. And the biblical worldview ties all of that together because um, there is an end in sight. I think of the four you know, pillars of our, you know, uh, God, how God's activity in the world. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Uh, the fact that, that God has been involved in every one of those. Of course, God initiated creation, and, and it began with him. And then there was the fall, but from the moment humanity fell, God was instituting his plan, which leads us into this this period of time called redemption that we live in now. Um, and this is the present time of God's redemptive work in the world. Uh, but there will be a day when Jesus will return. There will be a day when all things will be made right. And that's why I think, as we think of the the biblical worldview, it says that God is involved from beginning to end. He is involved from creation to consummation. Um, Nothing happens in this world. Nothing. No wars, no personal disobedience. Nothing happens in this world without God being intimately involved with that. You know, sometimes, Corbin, you know, you just feel like the Lord brings something to mind. So... I'm just going to toss it out there. Yeah. Um, as you as you talk about us living in the present time, um, this this period of redemptive history, uh, the only period of time during which we have the opportunity to share the gospel, there will yeah. be no need of it uh, yeah. once you know w- once the time of consummation occurs. So we right. are living in this period of history when you know we have this gospel opportunity. Um, the Lord brings to mind Ephesians um, 5, yep. I think it's 15, it might be 16, where it talks about redeeming the time because yeah. the days are evil. Yeah. Um, could you just speak to that? Like how Christians walk in these days as redeemers of time? Yeah. You know, the the interesting thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce to another passage that, that I think really fits uh, in this. There's a moment in time in the Gospels where the, where the disciples ask Jesus, is this the time when you're going to restore the mm. kingdom to Israel? Mm. And Jesus goes on and he tells the, the parable of the, the weeds 
and the and the good plants. And he says, I'm not going to pull up the weeds at this time because if I do, it'll pull up the good plants as well. It'll pull up the healthy ones. So God in his infinite wisdom has chosen during this time of redemption, during this time um, of where evil does roam the, the earth and Satan does have uh, a, a, an amount of influence in this world, not ultimate influence, but an amount of influence. Um, God, God in his redemptive activity is allowing these two things in his sovereign infinite wisdom to live side by side. And so there will never be a day that we will experience this side of heaven where all things will be made right. That day is coming. But as long as we are here, and Paul says in Philippians, it's for fruitful labor. It's for uh, our uh, God-given call uh, to make a difference in this world. So is there frustration? You bet, because we're living in this time where uh, we, we live side by side with evil. Now, it's our responsibility to to be part of God's work of pushing that back and redeeming and bringing beauty and truth and goodness back into the world. Um, but we are not going to, we're not going to eradicate it. One day, God will. And that is the hope that we have, that one day uh, Satan will be banished, uh, the gates of hell will be closed, um, and we will live in absolute perfection. And we have this long hope for that, uh, the, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Uh, what a day that will be. Mm. Yeah, you, uh, you bring to mind um, the promise of God that, um, uh, that the day is coming it is. Um, when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth Ugh. and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Today to the glory of God the Father, but yeah. today is not yet that day. That's so, right. Um, we're going to continue the conversation about how we live in the midst of these days. Dr. Corbin Hornbeek is our conversation partner this morning. He is the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul and Northwestern Media. Um, you can visit with him at unwsp.edu. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. In a day when uh, colleges and universities um, can be, you know, lots of different things and be driven toward lots of different kinds of pursuits, I am thrilled to be a part of an academic institution and a media ministry that is committed to equipping Christians um, to to live out the gospel in the world. And so Dr. Corbin Hornbeek is here. He is the president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul and Northwestern Media. We're talking about what's going on in the world, what's happening on university campuses across the country, bringing the mind of Christ to bear. Um, so Corbin, I uh, I have been mm. noting the uh, reaction, the response, mm. the public statements of various university um, presidents across the country. I happen to be an alum of the University of Florida, so I'm mm-hmm. particularly proud of Ben Sass and his yep. um, his response. 
Um, could you talk about moral clarity in the yeah. midst of what's happening? And like, because there's just so many, so many squishy statements out there. <laughs> and I don't think squishy is like where the people of Christ stand. Yeah. And Carmen, I agree with you. I don't think squishy works in the world anymore. We tried that for a long time. Um, it's called uh, moral relativism. And uh, we are experiencing the repercussions of moral relativism in the world. Um, God has always, you look throughout the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, particu- particularly in the Old Testament, God has always had a prophetic voice. And that prophetic voice has always, always, always called God's people back to a clear understanding of God's holiness. It all begins with the character and the attributes and the nature of who God is. We don't get to redefine God. Uh, God defines us uh, because he created us. We don't get to create God in our image. So for me, as I think about moral clarity, um, culture doesn't get to define morality in our world. God defines himself and he defines himself in his revealed word uh, called the Holy Bible. Uh, we call it the Holy Bible because in every word uh, in the Bible, uh, it is a reflection of God's nature and his character. So when I think of the the lack of moral clarity that we have in our world and, and the uh, the unwillingness for people to stand up and say what is right and what is true, what is good, and to speak of a holy God, um, I think it's time for God's people to stand up uh, and be willing uh, to put a stake in the ground on that. And let me just say that um, if you are listening right now and you're like, but then I feel like I would be standing alone against a, you know, an, an overwhelming tide and current of cultural um, opinion and vitriol. And, um, and and let me just say, yeah, yes, yeah. that is exactly where we're standing. It um, is. And know. yeah, and you don't stand alone. First no, of all, I mean, you know, you don't stand alone. We're going to stand. We will stand together. I will stand with you. But you have to stand like that is the word in Ephesians six. Hmm. Yeah, you have to stand. We have to stand. And, you know, scripture is clear also, Carmen, that um, the the goal is not in this world, uh, to be popular. Um, if we're aiming for popularity and there's lots of different avenues by which we might uh, try to achieve a certain degree of popularity, um, that is not the, you know, the, the way for us to be able to, uh, achieve moral clarity. Um, the Bible talks, uh, about a remnant and even in old Testament times as, as God's people, experience persecution after persecution after persecution, sometimes due to their own disobedience, sometimes due to just God's, God's will. But there, but there was always a remnant. There was always a remnant of God's people who stood up despite the oppression. Um, and I think of people in the Bible like, uh, you know, Moses and Daniel and Joseph, um, uh, others throughout Scripture who stood on their own uh, despite uh, the possibility of great you know, personal persecution, uh, maybe even death. And so I think as we, you know, try to figure out how to navigate this increasingly secular world, we have to recognize that we may not be the most popular voice in culture, but we are called to be a prophetic voice into culture. Can you um, take a moment to just distinguish prophetic, prophetic voice in culture from what some people then just regard as politics? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, first of all, God, uh, the a prophetic voice is always, always, always going to point us back uh, to God. Um, 
politics uh, is a, a way for people to participate in society, hopefully in a, a civil way and hopefully in a respectful way. Um, but politics is, you know, the way I think about politics, it's important. We're blessed to live in the greatest country in the world. We're blessed to live in a democracy. But politics is fairly reductionistic. Um, every party, each party has a platform, and you either subscribe to that platform or one other platform. A prophetic voice is always going to point us back to the nature and the character of an infinite and holy God um, whose ways and laws are immutable. And so I think we have to be really careful not to point ourselves back to politics, although we want to be involved in politics. We want to be involved in our civil society as um, responsible citizens. Um, But we need to look further. We need to look beyond that and really understand who is God, what is his nature, what is his character, what are his attributes, and how do we align our lives in response to that? That's so good. That's such good exhortation. Thank you so much. Um, How can we pray for you and for other people in in university leadership across the country? Thank you so much. I think, um, you know, there are, we talk about a remnant, and there are um, probably fewer and fewer um, colleges and universities of faith around this country, Christian colleges and universities that are uh, finding themselves in a place where they're willing to stand up. I'm thankful that the University of Northwestern is one of those places. Um, also, uh, I, I would just say pray for our students. Every day when I walk on our campus, um, you know, we've, I've got lots of meetings and things like that. And I look out my office window across the campus green and I see um, you know, young 17 to 21-year-olds, let's say, 22-year-olds. And I, I see a hopeful future, but I also see them stepping into a world where they better be, they better be smart, uh, they better be well-equipped, they better be uh, men and women of deep faith and character. They are going to be the Daniels and the Davids and the Josephs and the Moseses, uh, those who will go into the world, who will step into culture. So I would say pray for our students, pray for the next generation, uh, because they've got a tough job ahead, but I, I am very, very hopeful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of this media ministry. We thank you for um, the University of Northwestern St. Paul, and we thank you for Corbin. We thank you for his leadership. Um, we thank you for his sweet family. Um, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time. And we thank you um, for giving us each other for such a time as this. And so we lift up the students, we lift up the faculty, we lift up the media ministry, um, and we lift up the witness, the collective witness, as we seek to um, bear out Christ to others in the world that you so love. So grant us the grace sufficient for the living of these days in ways that glorify and magnify you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much um, for being with us today, Corbin. Oh, thank you, um, We Carmen. genuinely appreciate it. Wonderful. Um, Good all to right, be with you. So, likewise. So as you head out there um, into the world that God so loves, let me encourage you, um, on Christ the solid rock you stand. No squishy moral relativism today, okay? Um, on Christ the solid rock you stand. All other ground sinking sand. No squishy moral relativism today. Have some moral clarity about what is happening. Speak the truth in love. Um, choose life, like all the kinds of things that you would say to yourself, um, these are the good and the godly things that the world needs to hear. These are the things that are good and beautiful and true. Let me help other people see Jesus today um, in what I say in the way that we live. Uh, The goal is not popularity. 
It's just not. The goal is that we would live faithful as the people set apart, used by God to shine like stars in a perverse generation. Uh, And yes, they will mock you. They mock me. Um, So although they mock us, may they see our good works and recognize God on the day he comes. For that day is coming. One day, this day, will be that day. Thank you so much for our time together today. You can visit with us online at MyFaithRadio.com. Download the Faith Radio app and share the show with somebody else. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.